and welcome to the Data IQ podcast. I'm David Reed, bringing you 30 minutes of interviews and insights from the data and analytics industry. Coming up, I'll be talking to Bridget Kearns, Head of Organizational Development at Hastings Direct, about diversity and how to increase it in this sector. I also talk to KPMG about its own diversity initiative, It's Her Future. But first, late last year, I interviewed Kathy Pendleton, Data Governance Manager at Compare the Market. We talked about how to make governance an enabler of business innovation. I'm here in the White Collar Factory with Kathy Pendleton, Senior Manager Data Governance for Compare the Market. So firstly, Kathy, can you explain a little bit about your role and about the company? Sure. So um, Compare the Market is um, a comparison site and it is responsible for introducing the meerkats and the phrase simples to the general public. It was launched in 2006 and our business objective is very simple. We're there to help people save money and get a better deal and make sure the process is as simple as possible. My role at Compare the Market is in data governance I head up a team of 14 people. We're a relatively new team of subject matter experts, and we specialise in data privacy and security, as well as data quality and operations. Our role is multi-factor. We're there to raise training and awareness about what good data looks like throughout the business and how we can keep it secure. We are there to ensure that Compare the Market has a clear roadmap and is aware of all our continuous improvement plans that are in train. We're also there to regularly assess the business against a framework of controls so that we can report to the exec how well we're doing with our regulatory compliance. You work in a regulated industry, which means a lot more than just GDPR. Can you give us an idea of the scope of what data governance involves for you here? Regulatories that we abide by absolutely go further than GDPR. Um, It means that we have to navigate through a huge variety of perspectives on what our regulatory environment is. The role of the data governance team in that is to help the tech and delivery teams understand these requirements and navigate through them. And luckily, we're supported by a great compliance team full of subject matter experts. Unfortunately, though, the reality is that sometimes the role of data governance is simply that we have to say no to some ideas Um, They may be fantastic ideas, they may be things that are exciting and things that we personally would like to support, but the regulatory environment that we're in is actually very black and white. And sometimes just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. So that's what the data governance team do. We help everybody navigate through. There are some contradictory um, regulations that we have to navigate. So for example, under GDPR, there is a requirement to retain data for the lowest possible length of time. But under the FCA regulations, we're required to retain copies of our customer sales for a minimum of eight years. So there are definitely some conflicts that we help to navigate. So given that scope, how do you go about creating a positive data governance culture, especially when it can often be seen as a blocker, uh, the department of no, uh, rather than as an enabler of business processes? So I'm a big believer in being open and transparent about what the role of data governance is and the benefits that it can bring to an organisation. Here at Compare the Market, we do that in a variety of different ways. We try to have a face-to-face presence wherever possible, especially in any key strategic meetings that are happening. We also have a um, Slack channel where anybody can ask a member of the data governance team any question that they have. 
we are building hubs that contain lots of information and knowledge. We're very much encouraging people to be able to go and source the information themselves, but with the guidance that we've provided. We have active support from our exec leadership team, which does help enormously um, in reinforcing to everyone across the business that data and governance is a key um, delivery for us. Um, we also like to share our success stories and occasionally our failure stories as well, because just as much can be shared from those. Um, but underlying all of it is education and guidance. Um, we, cr we create more experts by being more open and sharing the knowledge that we have. And eventually we'll find that we will have created a culture where everybody is a mini expert in their own right. The other side is to accept that when you're introducing a data governance framework to a business, you're not just bringing in technology and process. You are actually changing the culture and you're changing the role that people have within the business of becoming good data citizens. And you have to accept that it's going to take some time to achieve it. We have um, a couple of generic online um, training programs with a small test at the end. They focus in both our information security standards and our data privacy under GDPR. And we're actually in the process of introducing a supplementary to that for people whose roles are more focused on data and data handling. That kicks off in January and that will take the form of an intense induction for all of our new starters. So six weeks after joining the business, you'll be taken off and you'll spend some time with the data team learning all about how we put the customer first and how we truly are a data-driven business. Data governance is an evergreen activity and it's always needed and it's never finished. How do you maintain the momentum, especially in the wake of a major deadline like GDPR enforcement in May of 2018? So that's an easy one for me. Um, and it's an easy one because you simply have to love what you do. You have to surround yourself with a team who enjoy what they're doing. And above all, you've got to be with people who recognise the value of the job that you're delivering. Um, you have to be clear and realistic about the plans that you put in place, about the roadmap, roadmap that you've committed to deliver. You can't fix everything at the same time. And if you're not realistic and manage expectations, then you won't be able to benefit from that feeling of accomplishment when you've delivered something. And it's that feeling of accomplishment that keeps the momentum going and naturally drives you to deliver the next thing on the list. Communicating those success stories, as, as you mentioned before. Absolutely. And knowing that for every success story you communicate, there's three, four, five, ten other people learning lessons from that. What was your own path into your current role? Because I genuinely couldn't think of a better fit for my personality or my interests in the world. Um, I was very lucky. I started life as a financial analyst for the marketing team at the Telegraph Media Group. Um, that was back in around 2006, and I was lucky enough to have a manager who recognised that I had a natural flair for everything data-related, and specifically data privacy-related. So with their investment, I quite quickly became the data controller at the Daily Telegraph and held that position for a number of years. I then um, got a little bit bored with the technology that was in place. So when the Telegraph Media Group was sold on to new buyers... Um, I took the opportunity to go travelling the world and picked up a job working for Time Warner in Washington and travelling to Australia. So it was a fantastic period in my life. Um, I built for them an entirely new MarTech platform. 
it exposed me to global data governance and global privacy regulations. I launched the um, new MarTech stack over in Washington, which was a hell of an experience. Surrounded, I had an American tech team and a European supplier. So that was a clash of cultures, which I think gave me a lot of skills that I can now apply to change management projects. Then I returned home to England and I worked for a couple of um, exhibition and intelligence companies. I was around at Dennis Publishing for the emergence of the GDPR deadline. I worked for them implementing a governance programme, introducing a team and making sure that when the date came around they were 100% compliant. And as you know, just recently moved over to Compare the Market. You're hiring currently? I am, absolutely. So what type of people do you think make up a good data governance team, bearing in mind what you said about your own career path, is it recognised as a career in itself or do you have to convert them across from other areas? So I think data governance is gaining recognition as a career path, but it is definitely in its infancy as a recognised career path. What that means is that you have to be really clear about the skills and the behaviours that make a good data governance person. Now, because you're not going to find somebody with five years, 10 years, 15 years of data governance experience. It simply didn't exist back then, or it wasn't called data governance back then. So what you have to do is make sure that you're looking for somebody who has a quizzical nature, somebody who likes to get to the bottom of a challenge or a problem, somebody who's very organized, a great communicator, understands how to speak to both tech and execs, about some complex problems and generally has an affiliation with the world of data, knows how to navigate it. Excel skills are always a must in a process like this. But what I would say is that more and more we are seeing people um, rotate through, gain qualifications, work with companies um, to gain their own use, master users of the systems. So another five years, I don't think it would be so problematic. I think that data governance is one of those rare roles where no matter how junior your role within the business, you're still seen as an expert. And that label of being an expert does mean that you'll get exposed to groups of individuals who you might not necessarily be involved with in a traditional makeup of a company. Often for individuals like myself who are in a senior leadership role, you are the single person in the entire company who hold that job title, who hold that area and are responsible for that function. So the opportunity to go and mingle with like-minded individuals, compare notes, see how you're standing up against everyone else, I think that would be welcomed and I don't think we're quite there yet. And I'm often asked what value data governance brings. Um, and the short answer is that a data privacy professional will tell you the legal answer to the question that you've asked. The data governance professional will not only tell you the legal answer, but they'll also tell you how the business you're working at operates, what they consider to be standard, and what they consider to be acceptable from the customer's perspective. A really good example of that would be the fulfilment of data subject access requests. The legal viewpoint is that you must fulfill within 30 days. But in some businesses, especially a business like Compare the Market, where we put the customer above everything else, we expect to fulfill far faster than 30 days. 
if a customer can give their data to us and we can share it with partners almost instantaneously, we, so, we see no reason why the customer's DSAR requests can't also be fulfilled instantaneously. And that's a project that we're actually kicking off next year. Now, at the Women in Data conference last November, Bridget Keans of Hastings Direct ran workshops that offered a way to get the conversation about diversity started in companies. I found out how it works. Please note, as this is a field recording, there's a little more background noise than usual. I'm here at the Women in Data conference with Bridget Keans, who is Head of Organisational Development at Hastings Direct. Bridget, you're here at the conference with your team, running sessions around inclusion. First of all, can you give our audience an insight into what that will cover? Yes, of course. Um, last year we had a recruitment stand, but this year we've been partnering with Women in Data and we're very excited to be running a workshop. So we're running a workshop three times at the Women in Data conference um, and it's an interactive workshop. So it's not one where people will come in and sit and listen to us for an hour. It's actually where we'll give some input and share some insight into what we've been doing on diversity and inclusion. But also, we're going to ask them to share their best experiences of where it works well. We're going to share what we've done to put some sort of fundamental building blocks in place to develop inclusive culture at Hastings, and then ask them to explore the whole concept further using a, a dialogue map. What do you hope the delegates will take away and then perhaps focus on as a result mm. of sitting in on your session? Yeah, so this, the, the, the discussion map or the dialogue map um, will be the centre of the session and uh, it will allow us to share what we're doing, as I said, um, around diversity, inclusion and equality, but also then the participants take that and work through some questions on this discussion map which will actually help them to share what they they know but also to listen to what other people have been doing as well because I am sure that there are organisations that are way ahead of us as well um, that are here and people representing them and it would be great to get their input as well as to share what we're doing for others. So discussion map, is that like a, a framework to help them think yeah. through issue? Yes, it's basically a, a sort of like a structured conversation. So we'll put some, we'll have some input at different times um, as we go through. We only have an hour. So it does actually give you a really focused sort of hour to have using the, the map. Um, and so we'll share the content and then they'll have the discussion and we'll facilitate the discussion from that. And where we end up is we'll cover quite a lot of different subjects. We'll end up at the end with a sort of consolidation of, so what's the one thing you think you could take away from this and use? And you know, what's the one thing that you've really valued from the conversation? Hastings Direct has been developing its approach, I understand, to inclusivity over the last three mm. years. Can you tell us about that journey? How did that start? And is there a vision for where you want to end up? Um, I don't think we have a vision. You know, we're, we're developing all the time. Um, and Hastings Direct does have um, a very clear sort of uh, culture around colleagues. So we have a, a concept called our four C's, um, which is colleague, customer, company, community, colleagues coming first. Um, and we're very much focused around that. Um, but our approach actually came from, um, and the work that we started, started with some core work that we did in defining our employer brand. And so the direction of travel that it came from was actually from recruitment and, interestingly, recruitment of analytical skills, which is considered to be a critical skill for us at Hastings, as you can imagine, 
Um, we're an organisation that are digit, digitally focused, um, and the future will be even more so. And so analytical people and people with those skills are, are very important to us. And we felt that we needed to do some work to actually start to build our presence in the marketplace for people. Because actually what we're finding um, from our recruitment team was that once they met people and they talked to people um, about what we were doing at Hastings, the opportunities, the Hastings story, as we put it, they were really impressed and very engaged in it. But actually what we wanted to do was to get that out there before we, before we were actually getting to talking to people. So people had that in ahead of, uh, of a conversation from, with a recruiter. Um, so we started with our employer brand, um, and we recognise that we're a relatively small player in this in a sort of recruitment of analytical people, but growing, and we needed to punch above our weight. And so um, that's where we started. And the idea was we wanted to capture in our employer brand um, what we were. So our, it wasn't about trying to define something we weren't and aspiring to it. We really wanted to define what we are as an organisation. And out of that came some really great stuff around clearly Hastings Road. We do have a clear sort of culture, which is around people, about people being able to come come to work and be who they are and to thrive um, in their way and with people that help them to do that and processes and policies, etc., that help them to do that. And that's where it started, really. So from that, we then started to engage a lot more in terms of, well, where are we now in terms of diversity, inclusion, equality, and started to put in place those building blocks then. So that work around defining yourself, uh, that employer brand definition, did that help to create a, a business case for adopting a more active approach to yes. inclusion? Yes, I think it did. Um, I very much so in terms of um, uh, there was a clear business imperative because um, for us a competitive differentiation for us is uh, our ability to um, deliver great prices to customers based on great work from analytical people right from the beginning of managing risk in, in insurance through to managing the market in insurance um, via price comparison websites. It is all about data. And um, therefore, you know, it was very easy to make a case for actually we need to be better, we need to be able to welcome people with those skills, we need to attract people, and we need to get help them get be the best they can be and get the best from them in a sort of uh, symbiotic way. So you're using the term inclusion in your session. What does that mean for you? And does it mean the same thing to everybody? Um, I think for Hastings, it probably means the same thing for everybody. And that really is around uh, enabling um, all our colleagues to be the best version of themselves they can be, to uh, be themselves. And that, that's very important, I think, to be themselves, especially... Um, we are 55% millennial um, representation within our workforce. So, wow. um, so, so, you know, we are a youthful organisation. Um, so I think mostly our, our people recognise that. But what we've been doing really to start that off is making sure processes, policies, recruitment policy, uh, processes, all are inclusive and fair and transparent so that decisions can be seen to be fair. Um, so we've started by, by doing that. Um, and, and I think 
that therefore for us it, it I think it is quite clear what inclusion means inclusion means everybody being able to come into work and to give their best and that their best may be to develop their career or it may be just to be the best while they're there um, it it's different for different people in the context of data and analytics specifically are there aspects of inclusion which you find are more challenging or perhaps somewhere it's leading I don't think there's it's more challenging I think there the, the fact that we have developed much more focus around um, analytics and what what is required to help people get the best from themselves um, has helped us to sort of make sure that uh, they are able to work in an environment where they and, and to function in an environment where they can do their best and you know that that's providing the right technology um, to providing um, people with the opportunities not just to, to do their job, but to explore their, their um, expertise and use their expertise as well. So uh, it's around some people will want to go deep, you know, want to be really specialist in some particular aspects, and some will want to be broader. And we need to make sure that we construct roles, um, career paths, um, and provide development that, that meets their needs. So Hastings Direct is not only here at the Women in Data Conference, you also hosted one of its meetups this year. Um, yes. So why is it important for you and for Hastings Direct to be part of this community? We really enjoy working with women in data. Um, it's been a revelation. But this year we wanted to do something slightly different, um, building on our meetup, actually. So our meetup we held in London, we're a, we're a South Coast based organization in Bex Hill. I don't know whether you've ever been to Bex Hill. It's absolutely lovely. If you're looking for a lifestyle sort of choice for your career, come to Bex Hill because we you can see the sea from our offices. Um, and that could be a choice for lots of people. You're selling it. <laughs> but actually what we wanted to do this year was something slightly different where we would sort of perhaps engage more deeply with less people. And it's important for us to be a part of this community because they are our talent pool. Yeah, absolutely. And so we want to be in there. We have to, in some ways, punch above our weight um, in this talent pool uh, to attract people. As we, as I say, you know, we're not a big organisation, but we're doing some fantastically interesting and challenging stuff. Finally, for other organisations out there, um, perhaps for the industry as a whole, what would you advocate that they do to create an inclusive environment for data and analytics practitioners? Yeah, I, th I think it's broader, you know, uh, I wouldn't advocate just doing it for data and analytic people, you know, uh, uh, but for everybody. It, it really is about providing that opportunity for an individual to contribute and thrive. And that's probably why I sort of ended up doing the sort of work I do, because I'm very passionate that we that people do get that chance to do it. But I think this, and it applies to any organisation, but it is around providing flexibility, providing career development, skills building um, in appealing ways for anybody who is in the data um, and analytics uh, sort of field, uh, whether they want to be to be deep experts, whether they want to be broader practitioners, that, that, we're, that, that an organisation provides the right opportunities for people to do that. Finally, KPMG has its own diversity initiative called It's Her Future. At Women in Data last year, they told me more about it. This was also recorded on site, so there's a little more noise. So I'm here at the Women in Data conference, talking to Felicity McCallum, an analyst at KPMG. 
Nehak Segal, an assistant manager at KPMG, and Nick Whitfeld, who's a partner at KPMG. So first of all, Felicity, I understand that KPMG has a project called It's Her Future. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So It's Her Future was set up by a female director in our company um, about four to five years ago. It spans a range of issues. So it was it began by looking at how women in data or women in technology there just weren't enough people, whether the opportunities were there for them and how do we support that. So it's an internal program that allows women to seek mentorship and support in trying to progress within the company. Um, on top of that, we also recognise that um, actually the number of girls that are coming through from school into university studying STEM is reducing, and therefore we have a programme where we introduce school mentoring for girls about age 15 to 16, so through GCSEs, um, and members of our firm go out into schools, talk to them, and then we have a work experience programme where they can come to the office for a week. Um, and experience all sorts of things relating to technology, whether that be robotics, automation, and just get a feel for what's involved and that actually it is fun and there's a lot of exciting opportunity. It's not just in a dark room or in a basement, which I think sometimes it's easy. And then obviously outside of that, again, looking at experienced cars and recruiting women into the firm. So it's all around women and technology at all ages and rates. So when you were at school, did you get exposed to that kind of project? How did you find your way into this realm? So um, I was quite lucky with my schooling. So we were really pushed towards STEM subjects. Um, sciences and technology were at the forefront. So anything from design technology, resistant materials, through to yeah, ICT, and then pushed towards physics and chemistry um, and further mathematics. Uh, so we were encouraged uh, in terms of sort of the robotics side of it and all of that exciting stuff, perhaps a little less so, but I'm not sure it existed in the same way as it does today. Um, I mean, my path into this space has perhaps been a little winding, but I'm thoroughly glad to have found it. And I'm pleased that actually my degree has not been restricted. So the, no one said I had to have a technical background, I didn't have to have a world of experience, but the doors were there and the opportunities have been open. Fantastic. So, Mahak, uh, KPMG is a partner here at Women in Data, and you have an exhibition stand. Um, tell me a little bit about your support for this event and uh, what you're looking to achieve by being here. Sure. So, I was transferred to KPMG UK from India team um, last year, and the experience has been so far so good. And I've been encouraging women to be a part of data scientists or data architects because uh, we really value what they have to say and uh, what exactly the, va the value they bring into the business. That's different from what we hear from other people. They want to be a part of KPMG or any other big organization, but sometimes they don't get the right pathway for that. And sometimes they think maybe I don't have the right skill set for that. So we are actually telling them about the mentoring programs that we have within the firm and also the learning pathways where we get support from all, all our partners and directors to actually move towards your career. So that's actually good. With the help of work-life balance scheme that KPMG is launching now, so we do have different initiatives where working women even can work within the data space and technology. So it's more about giving them the flexibility and so that they can continue with their career rather than taking a break and sitting long for like three, three or four years and not doing anything. So giving them all sorts of options is making and making it easier for them to work. Yeah, yeah. 
So it sounds like from top to bottom at KPMG, there is support for this program. You have, you know, from partners down to, to practitioner level uh, involved in that. Are you yourself a mentor? Yes, I'm mentoring actually two e-grades like we have in the organization where I'm mentoring them to actually to take up the learning pathways and grow up in their career progression uh, where we are getting the support from directors and train them on all the learning uh, or data architect platforms that we have within the organization. So, and also training them basically going to client sites and how actually to deal with the client based on the problem. So sometimes it's about giving them the right exposure at the right time rather than thinking about it, okay, after the learning program is done, then we'll give it. So we give them exposure right in the beginning to think and give them various options rather than just giving one of the options. Very exciting for them. Um, Nick, we, we hear constantly about the difficulties of recruiting talent into the uh, data and analytics space. Um, I'm guessing that diversity as, is part of your strategy of how you are tackling that. Absolutely. Um, it is traditionally a very male-oriented industry. I think it always has been. Um, but we know, we know it from anecdotal, personal, but also statistical evidence that actually having a gender and broad diversity of, of, of skills and people in the team makes a phenomenal difference, uh, both to how we engage and innovate, but also the type of service and, and quality of service that we deliver to our clients. So actually, gender diversity is incredibly important for us. Do you see yourself as having a role in perhaps uh, encouraging your clients as well to, to look at that? Because you must get a view into uh, who they've got in their teams, who they've got on their executive boards, and perhaps being able to say, look, we're finding this benefit, consider it, or come and be part of things like It's Her Future or Women in Data. Yes, of course, some, some clients are more uh, open to that sort of uh, conversation than others. But in, absolutely, um, when we run innovation days, we will ensure that we bring a range of uh, gender diversity, age diversity, um, and, and other types of skills as well. And, and we say we're here to bring that breadth and to demonstrate to you the power that, that could, could generate within you to transform your business. And when we do it and it works well, it is, it is truly, it is very, very exciting. Yeah. So you're here, so clearly you're hiring, um, and you're keen to, to hire women as well. So people who are visiting as delegates at Women Data, presumably they're, they're busy shoving their CVs under your nose during the course of the day. Well, I certainly hope so. Um, we've had, this is our first year doing this, uh, and I have to say, um, I'm absolutely bowled over and, and, and thrilled a bit that we're here. Um, we think we probably had 150 to 200 people come through and have a proper conversation about what it's like, and you can imagine the sorts of questions that, uh, that we've been asked. Um, and you know what? If, if, if a few of, of those people were to come and join our firm, I'd be really pleased. And that's it for another episode. If you liked it, please link, like, and share. And until the next time, goodbye.